Our first reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of, of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the book of Revelations, chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening, it is wonderful to be with you all here today, and especially I'm excited as we continue our, our sermon series on the differences. And our hope with this sermon series is that we'd be able to examine some of the Christian and Lutheran doctrinal differences and how they would make an impact in our lives today. And so it is fitting on, on this day that we should be examining the distinction of sinner and saint. So today is All Saints Day, or well, this weekend is All Saints Day. Now, some of you grew up in the church and you, you know what All Saints Day is. Others of you um, are, are wondering if we've added a new holiday uh, or they thought it was just daylight savings time. And, and <laughs> the last third of you, fourth of you, are wondering why we're talking about saints at all. I thought that was a Catholic thing, right? <laughs> 
So there, the Catholic Church has assigned uh, the designation, the title of saint to, to Christians that have lived their lives and they become a paradigm of Christian virtue. And so uh, you may have grown up going to church at St. Luke's or St. Paul's, St. Matthew's, right? There, there's, the title of saint is meant to be someone that we can look to to see how a Christian lives. That's not the type of saint that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the more general use of saint because a saint is someone, is anyone who has been redeemed by God, who is a child of God. Last week we talked about how we are saved by grace alone through faith and that this is an amazing gift of God. And some of that, that comes, those gifts that, that comes through the titles that God gives us instead, he calls us a child of God, loved, forgiven, renewed, right? And one of those is, is saint, Saint is one of those that he places upon us. And so, as believers in Jesus, we are all saints. And All Saints Day is a day where we commemorate those saints who have actually passed away, who have died in the past year and, and beforehand. We commemorate them uh, and acknowledge that they are in heaven with Jesus right now. But I want to I talk about the transformational aspect of saint, Right? Where there was once, uh, we were once sinners and, and now we, we have been redeemed by God and we are called saint. That there's a, there's a transformation, a metamorphosis in a sense. And, and you hear this a lot in testimonies, right? I, I, was, I worked with Greek University for a while when I was in college. And one of the things, their testimony writing section was you write life before Jesus, what Jesus did, then life after Jesus with the expectation that life before Jesus was a mess, right? There was failures, there was mistakes, and then Jesus came and now my life is so much better. And, and there's this transformational aspect to the Christian life. And if you were at one point not a Christian, right, you can kind of see this in your own life. And uh, you see there was something before, then Jesus came, and then something changed afterwards. I remember I experienced this when I was in middle school. And I went to a good Christian school, but they really, really liked altar calls a lot. Like they would do them in, in, in chapel all the time. And I remember there was this one retreat. Um, I'll give a side note, but I don't, I don't really like altar calls, and this is the reason why uh, this story is. Um, that there was a, a retreat where we went on an on, uh, this retreat and we were talking about how maybe you've been saved but you haven't, Jesus is not the Lord of your life, right? That you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And, and I was in middle school and I still, I was very, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to follow God. And so I was like, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And so I went up and I did the altar call and it was awesome, right? There was an amazing transformational experience that, that, that they came to me afterwards and said, you, you're now following Jesus. You're not gonna chase after sin anymore, that, that you're made new, that you are, you are redeemed by God. Uh, and I don't wanna downplay the joy that comes with that, right? Because I really was different for the next couple months. Like you could, if you were you're non-Christian and you went to being a Christian, I think that there's this period at the beginning where there's such intense joy, right, of being a Christian. There's such intense joy. You feel like every sermon speaks to you. Every worship song actually speaks to you, right? You're diving into the Bible and you're learning so much. You're growing so much in your faith. Your relationships seem to have, have been transformed. That sin that was plaguing you before, it seems like it's lost all of its power. There's this transformational aspect of becoming a new Christian, I like to, to liken it to, to the honeymoon period in marriage, right? Now, now I'm, 
I am a single guy. I don't, I, I can't speak from experience. I speak from my friends. Um, they, they, but they tell me that there is a, a point, you know, a honeymoon period where you're on your honeymoon and all of a sudden everything's wonderful, right? You're, you're with the love of your life, right? You're, you're out and you, everything's working out. You, you both are working like in sync, in sync with each other. It's just, it's the best time. And then it hits, right? And we know, you know when that honeymoon period has ended. That's when the, the big fight, the first big fight happens, right? You, you, you have that first argument over the budget or, or where the laundry goes or what to eat, right? Those quirks that were kind of cute when you were dating are no longer cute at all because you're living with them full time, right? Like that, there's a honeymoon period where it, once that ends, you kind of get a reality check. And I think that there's something like that in the Christian life as well. That, that, that there's a reality check that kind of happens along the way. The sermons don't always speak to you anymore, right? They don't seem like they're designed for you. You feel farther away from God. You know, you're studying the Bible, but you're not getting as much out of it. And it's the honeymoon period that sort of ended and there's not as much joy there anymore. And one aspect I really want to dive into is the sin aspect. Because the sin kind of comes back, right? I remember this because I, I, again, I was in middle school, eighth grade-ish, and then I went to high school. And of course, <laughs> you know all the challenges and struggles that come with high school, with a, a guy in high school. And all that sin, that trouble that I thought that I had left behind, that they said that the old me was gone, well, that came back and it brought about four buddies with it, right? Like it, it was just, it, it came back with a vengeance. And I was so frustrated because I, I wanted to serve God, right? I, I desperately wanted to serve God. And yet, at the same time, I was doing the exact opposite thing of what I wanted to do. I even wrote down in my journal at one point, I was like, what am I doing? Like, like, what am I actually doing? Why am I going towards these things? I know that I want to serve God, so why am I doing the opposite? You can kind of hear the frustration in Paul when he talks about this in Romans 7. Let me read a few verses. Romans seven fifteen is where I kind of feel that frustration. For I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then in verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can you feel his frustration? Feel his, his, his upset, how upset he is that he keeps on going after these things that are of the world. He wants to serve God. I mean, this is Paul the apostle, right? This isn't just some random Christian. This is one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever known. And, and do you remember what Paul's former job was? He was the artist formerly known as Saul, right? He, he's the guy who was actually a teacher of the law. He was handpicked by the, one of the greatest rabbis at the time to teach others how to teach the law or how to follow the law. If anyone should be able to do it, Paul should have been able to. And yet he's expressing so much frustration that all the sin just keeps popping up back in his life. Why am I doing this? What am I doing? I want to pause because maybe that's you right now. You just don't want to tell anybody about it, 
right? Because we come to church on Saturday and Sunday, right? We come to church and we look around and we see a bunch of transformed Christians, right? We're singing, we're singing songs, we're listening to sermons, and you look around and you see a bunch of transformed Christians that don't seem to be struggling with sin. And so you feel kind of isolated and alone, right? Why am I the only one struggling? Why is everybody else, they seem to be doing fine. So what is it about me? Maybe I don't have enough faith or maybe I don't have enough trust in God. Why am I the only one struggling with sin? And then it goes another step too, right? And Paul takes that step as well. Because when you kind of keep running up against and fighting against uh, something that seems inevitable, you reach despair, right? You reach hopelessness. Maybe this is the way it always is. We see Paul say this in, in verse 23. I, I see the members, another, uh, my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, right? That, that in, in this, he, he sits there and I want to focus on the word captive. It's, it's the same word for, for war prisoner, right? And, and criminal. You are held captive to sin, right? That, that Paul's members are captive to sin. And, and it's, it's tough. Base, and it's interesting to see that Paul describes it this way because we talk about the freedom that is in Christ, right? So, but Paul says, I'm still, my members are still captive to sin, Maybe this is the way that it always is, right? Is the step that we take. When we keep fighting up against the inevitable, maybe there's no way I can break this sin. Maybe this is just how it's always going to be. And that leads to one more step. And to illustrate this, I want to use a story from my high school years. I, 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 was, I played football in high school, but I also did wrestling. And mostly I did wrestling to stay in shape for football. Um, and so I was much worse at wrestling than I was at football. And I remember there was this time I just kept, I couldn't get the move that my coach was trying to teach me. Over and over again, he just put me on the mat over and over. And finally, at one point, I got so frustrated, I punched the mat and just started pacing back and forth. And, and my coach came up to me and said, you don't fail at much, do you? Like sheepishly kind of said, no, I, I really don't. He said, when you come up against failure over and over and over again, that's when you're going to be most tempted to give up. And I think that that's the same thing with sin. So when we come up against sin over and over and over again and we can't overcome it, it's such a struggle for us. The temptation is to give up. Why keep struggling? Why keep fighting it? Just give up. Give in, right? There's no, no point. Might as well just make it easier for ourselves. Stay at that wretched man that I am and not move on. And, and I, I hit this point. I, I, I hit this point once. It was that same time I was writing in my journal, what am I doing? Do I actually want to be a Christian or not? So I wrote in there. Do I actually want to commit myself to a life of Christ or not? All right, Vicar, it's, it's time to move on to the buckle up your bootstraps version, right? Let, let's get to that part of the sermon. And we'll get there, I promise. Uh, but we, we can't miss a step first. Because if we move too quickly to the keep on fighting, right? We're gonna miss the most important part of the entire text. It's the very reason that we're fighting. And Paul says it in verse 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the midst of the struggle, in, in the midst of the pain, the failures, the mess-ups, the screw-ups, right? In the midst of all of that, God still loves Paul. 
In the midst of all of our sin, our struggle and our our shame, our pain with it, God still loves you. He still calls you his child. He still says that you're redeemed. In the midst of all of this mess, God still loves us. And if you're wondering why it matters, it's because too often when I come up against failure and sin in my own life, I constantly try to battle back against it because I, I I want to not be a mess up anymore. Right? I use this, my regret, my guilt, and my shame to kind of motivate myself to, to conquer the sin. But I promise you, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't, using your guilt and your shame to not be a mess up anymore isn't going to work against sin. Right? But rather, instead, the, the, the love of God is what transforms us. It's what pushes us forward. It's the very reason that we're fighting in the first place. Because God said, in spite of all of that, you are my child. I love you. I have redeemed you. Right? You are a saint, even when all around you seems like you're just a sinner. And, and when he speaks those words, right? We, we confess our sins and we say that your sins are forgiven. They're truly gone. The guilt and the shame are taken away. So, if you're struggling with sin and you're fighting against it constantly, I have two things for you. One, forgive yourself. God truly forgave you. He loves you. So forgive yourself. Don't, don't, don't keep beating yourself up over and over again. Forgive yourself. And number two, keep on fighting. Keep on struggling. I can't promise it's going to get any better. I'm still pretty young, 26, so I, I, but I, and I've seen that it doesn't get any easier. The, the sins just kind of change along the way. It, it, the situation changes. But keep on fighting. Because notice, even Paul doesn't resolve this tension of sinner and saint, right? At the end of verse 25, he concludes this entire section with this word. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He doesn't resolve it. He doesn't give us a a big answer. He just says, I'm going to keep on fighting. But but keep on fighting from not a place of resignation, not not a place of, of guilt and shame, but out of the love of God, right? Because the whole reason that we fight against sin is because God has called us to a new life, right? A better life than the one that we had before. So we keep on fighting and struggling against sin to reach that life, to, to battle against that. And with that, that carries the hope, the hope that one day sin will be no more, that we will actually stand together with all the saints and the sinner will be gone, right? There'll be no more. We won't have to worry and struggle against sin anymore, but we will be worshiping Jesus in heaven and with all the other saints. Till that day, fight on saints. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.